we are in a in a series, a new series, where we're kind of uh, looking at personalities in the Bible that uh, maybe is a little bit easy to overlook. And a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day, we looked at uh, Absalom, uh, David's son, and the dysfunctional family that uh, David was uh, raising. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at another personality, uh, one of David's wives, one of his first wives. He had, I believe, 18 wives, at least 18 wives. And, uh, and so the, pers- the person we're going to be looking at this morning is um, Abigail. And you'll find her story in First Samuel chapter 25. And, uh, you know, as we look at the, the marriage relationship, um, because uh, in this passage of Scripture, Abigail is married to uh, Nabal. And uh, it is a mismatched marriage. Um, talk about uh, two people who are different as night and day. It was uh, Nabal and Abigail. Um, there reminds me of a story about uh, a couple who was uh, driving across country, and uh, they were in an argument. And it definitely was not a pleasant uh, trip together. And uh, there was a lot of uh, difficult conversation. There was some awkward silence. There was a lot of anger and bitterness on both parts. And um, a not very bright husband was looking in a field, and they were passing. Uh, he saw a donkey out in the field. And he said to, to his wife, say, is that one of your relatives? And she thought for a moment And she said, yes, it is, by marriage. (laughs) And that's kind of what's going on between the relationship with uh, Abigail and her husband, uh, Nabal. Now, when we look at 1 Samuel chapter 25, let me just kind of set up uh, the scene for us this morning. The Bible says in verse uh, 1, now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house of Ramah. Verse 2, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Verse 3, And now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. Now, um, as we come to chapter 25, a couple things have already happened in, in David's life. David has been anointed king of Israel. Now, he doesn't have the throne yet. Saul is still king But uh, David has been running for his life because Saul is very jealous of of David. Um, And so David is down in southern Israel, below the Dead Sea. Um, David's already um, killed Goliath. We're very familiar with that story. In chapter 24, as David has been running uh, from Saul, uh, we see in chapter 24 where uh, David, 
David is in the cave, in a cave with Saul. Saul doesn't know that David is in the cave. David has the opportunity to take Saul's life, but he spares uh, King Saul. He does not want to bring harm to God's anointed. But in chapter 25, Samuel, the last prophet of Israel, a good prophet, has died. And uh, it doesn't indicate that David was necessarily at that uh, funeral, probably most likely not because of, of, uh, of running from Saul. But here we see uh, David down in southern Israel. And, uh, and David has become kind of a, uh, a self-appointed neighborhood watch person. Um, he and his men, he has about 600 men with him. It's been a ragtag army that has, uh, has come along David's side. And uh, they kind of uh, keep bad people away from the herdsmen. And uh, Nabal is a very rich man. He has 300 sheep and 1,000 goats, the Bible says. And the herdsmen who keep track of all those animals, they have a great relationship with David and his men. Uh, David has been doing a fabulous job protecting those herds. And as you read through chapter 25, the herdsmen say they have not lost one animal. Well, uh, Nabal happens to be in Carmel. That's the kind of the business place where... uh, 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 financial uh, transactions occur. And uh, this is the time of the festival. This is the time of the shearing. And this is really what's known as payday. And so Nabal is down there with all of his, uh, his um, livestock and the, the sheep are being sheared. And, uh, and uh, this is where... Um, those funds are now going to be collected. Well, David knows what's going on down there. And so he sends 10 of his men uh, requesting that uh, they be considered for the time that they've been putting in protecting uh, Nabal's livestock. And here we see in verse, um, uh, they, David's men make the requests in verses uh, 4 through 9. And then we come to verse 10, and we get a glimpse of Nabal's uh, character as he responds to David's ten men. And it says this, And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water, and my meat that I have killed for my shears, and give it to men who come from I do not know nowhere. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this, told David. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. Uh... Nabal was very condescending to David. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Now, as, as you read through the text, 
Abigail, Nabal's wife, knows exactly who uh, David is. But here Nabal pretends not to know as if being insulting. Who is this nobody? And everybody knew David, including Nabal. And so the ten men come back to David. They give him Nabal's response. And David is indignant. He's been insulted. How dare he treat me like that and not even consider paying us for how we've taken care of the flock? And so the Bible talks about David taking 400 of the 600 men and he's coming after Nabal and all of his family. Well, as you continue on in chapter 25, um, there is in verse 14, the Bible says, but one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were keeping we, we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do. For harm is determined, is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. This man is referring to Nabal. Nabal doesn't take advice. He doesn't hear what people have to say. Nobody can speak to him. And so here this servant has come back and he's appealed to Abigail. And here Abigail is. She's received this information. And instead of panicking, instead of uh, getting angry like David, uh, she attempts to diffuse the situation. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. How does Abigail diffuse a volatile situation? The first thing we see is in verses 18 and 19. She begins to prepare a lot of food. She knows what's happening to David and her men and his men. They were depending on some kind of income to provide for the physical needs of the men. And and here she is in verses 18 and 19, and she, she, she prepares all this food for David's men. And, and she's going to take that food to David. Now, I want you to see, now, Abigail's going to confront David, but she's going to do it with great humility. Uh, Abigail is, is someone who's not coming to throw gasoline on a fire that's already raging. She knows David is angry. And 
David isn't responding in a, in a, in a godly way. And so as she approaches David, she is going to tr- approach him with great humility. And there's three things I want to point out to us this morning that may help you with someone um, who has feels as if they've been treated unjustly. It may help us in our culture today as we relate to people, church, who are angry with the church. You know, we live in a culture today that's hostile towards the church. Not just indifferent, but is hostile. And we're reading about it in the paper today. And they are going to become, the culture is going to become more and more aggressive against the church. And so here's Abigail, who knows this man wants to do great harm towards her husband and towards her because she's part of his family. And she wants to diffuse a volatile situation. There's three words that I wanted to look at this morning. One is the word attention. The second word is intention. And the third word is prevention. So here we are. Let's look at verses 23. Um, let's, look, let's begin with verse um, 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face, bowed to the ground. Notice the humility. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, my husband, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who you seek to do evil to, to my Lord be as Nabal. Let's stop there for a moment. Abigail is wanting to get David's attention. David is angry. David is focused on Nabal. David is wanting to do great harm. And Abigail says, pay no attention to Nabal. He's a fool. His name means fool. And if you pay attention to foolish things, you will bankrupt your perspective. Folks, we need to pay attention to what's captured our attention. Are we paying attention to foolish things this morning? If, if so, it's going to bankrupt 
our perspective, our outlook, and how we see things. We need to pay attention to wisdom. Why? Because we will steer where we stare. And if we're caught up in foolish things, we're going to steer that direction. And Abigail is saying, pay no attention to my husband. He's a fool. Pay attention to wisdom. Whatever we stare at most, that becomes our object of worship. And when we do that, we're giving that object permission to alter our thinking, to consume our heart, and redirect our steps. Where are you paying attention this morning? Is it on things of God or things of this world? And my friends, if it's, if it's things of this world, our God becomes smaller and our problems become bigger. But if we'll choose to focus on wisdom, we'll choose to focus on God, that's where our object of worship is. He is our object of worship. Guess what happens? Our problems become smaller and our God becomes bigger. So what have you been paying to lately? Paying attention to? I don't know about you, but for me, I've been paying attention to the direction of our country and the terrible direction that is headed headed in. And as I have done that, does my attitude become more Christ-like, more positive, uh, more uplifting? Absolutely not. And if I want my attitude to change, I need to change my focus. I need to change where I'm staring because where I'm staring is where I'm steering. Abigail says, don't focus on my foolish husband. Don't go there, David. We need to start our day, church, with God and not our cell phone or our emails or our Facebook or our Twitter accounts. We need to start our day with God. We need to exchange whispers. We need to hear the whispers of God in our hearts and lives before we get caught up in the shouts of this world. Abigail's attention was, she had the right focus. It was on her God. And she knew David's focus was in the wrong wrong direction. And so Abigail is appealing to David. Pay attention to your focus. What are you staring at, David? So that's the attention. And then we see the intention Verses 26 and 27, let me just read them again. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from 
blood guilt and from and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as navel. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. David's intention at the beginning of the day was to receive food was to receive an income so that he could provide um, the resources to all of his men. That's how David started his day. That's how David thought his day was going to go. But when those 10 guys came back to, to David with different information, David's intentions totally changed. And now he began to follow Hit these intentions, and David was about to wind up in an emotional mess, something that he would forget maybe for the rest of his life. And so here, here Abigail is. She knows that David's been disrespected and that he's been ridiculed and that his intentions for that day have dramatically changed but she wants to focus on David's original intentions she knows what David needs David's hungry David's men are hungry she knows that David is probably feeling stressed out because he needs to provide for his men And so here Abigail is trying to diffuse this volatile situation and she appeals to David's need. Here's this gift, David. Receive it. Are you in a difficult relationship with someone right now? And... You're the wiser person. And God wants to use you to diffuse the situation, to iron out the situation. What is the person's need? And how can you address that need? Church, we're living in a culture today that is highly upset with the church. Particularly the homosexual community. And maybe you are friends with some homosexuals that are very angry and bitter towards the church. And, And they have every right to be because they've heard some very hateful things. And maybe it's their need to be heard to be loved. You're not embracing their lifestyle. You're not approving of their lifestyle, but you're listening. They, you see them as a person who's created in the image of God. God loves them and God wants you to love them. 
that might diffuse a hostile person. I'm not saying that it will, but Abigail saw David and she understood his need. And she was intent on fulfilling that that need. And so in verse 27, here's this. Now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young man. Let this gift calm you down, David. And David would receive the gift. And then she, she, she goes on in verse 20, 28 and she says, Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. She's reminding David, David, God has been faithful in your life. Abigail knows God. Abigail knows the story of David. And Abigail is sharing with him, just as God has been faithful in your past, you can trust him in your present, David. He is here for you. Then look at verse 29. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. What do you think she's referring to? Maybe the battle of David and Goliath. And she's reminding David, David, just as God was faithful in that conflict, God is going to be faithful with your current enemies. You can trust him, David. Remember God's hand of faithfulness. You know, I think we saw that a couple weeks ago with the church, the black church in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina, when that 21-year-old gunman who hated African-Americans and took nine of those African-American lives, how did the church respond? Did they respond with race riots and, and hatred and revenge. No, they responded with love and forgiveness. Those Abigails diffused a highly volatile situation. And a community came together and Jesus was glorified. And that church reminded our nation, our community, that God is faithful and he can be trusted regardless of circumstances. So here we see Abigail trying to go back to David's original intent. 
focus on David's original need and respond to that need. And, and David received the gift. Which brings us to number three. Prevention. Abigail is entering into prevention. She's not wanting to see a conflict become worse than it already is. And so look at verses 30 and 31. The Bible says, And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. She again is appealing with all this humility. She is bathed in humility. She's saying, David, don't do something that you're going to have this heavy conscience hanging over you for the rest of your life. This heavy conscience is the word fuka. Um, the Hebrew word is spelled P-U-double-Q-A-H. You don't want this fuka over your head, David. You don't want to be living with the guilt of your decisions. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all made foolish choices that have caused this fuka. And we've thought to ourselves, why did I do that? Look at the consequences I'm living with now. But we know at the same time, with whatever decisions, whatever fuka we've brought upon ourselves, God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness always covers that sin. Amen? There's not a decision that you and I can make where God's grace and mercy cannot cover it. And God's forgiveness has covered a lot of our sin. Abigail knows that. We know that. But Abigail doesn't want David to live with this present decision that he's about to make. Don't put this fuka on your head, David. Don't do this. You trust God. And so here we see David about to make a decision that's going to affect his tomorrows. But my friends, we can make wise decisions today that will be good for our tomorrows. And that's what Abigail is appealing to. And what does David do? Verses 32 through 35. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt. 
and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. This is the difference between Nabal and David. Nabal was a fool. Nabal was arrogant. Uh, Nabal was condescending. He didn't want to listen to anything anybody had to say. But David, here he is confronted in love and humility. David sees and hears Abigail and knows that she has a heart for God. And a person who has a heart for God sees people who have a heart for God and will be listened to. And and David, instead of being a person full of pride and being arrogant and full of himself, humbles himself and praises God for using Abigail in his life to keep him from making a very foolish decision. That's the difference between Nabal and David. Do you have an Abigail in your life? You need to praise God for that person and listen to what they have to say so that your focus can be on the right things. Your intentions can be on the right things and not the wrong things. And they can keep you from having a whole lot of fuka coming upon your head. And so David hears what Abigail has to say. And notice this at the same time. Abigail continues to trust God. Abigail knows what David is capable of doing. And Abigail could have used this situation to her advantage. When the servant had come from uh, Carmel and told Abigail about uh, what David was about to do, Abigail knows her situation. She knows the miserable relationship that she's living under. And she could have, you know, could have said, oh my, God works in amazing ways, doesn't he? Because she knew that her husband was about to be killed. But no. And then she goes to David and she doesn't even try to manipulate the situation in front of David. She could have said, well, David, you know, let's make this a little tidier. You don't have to kill everyone in Nabal's family. You can just take Nabal out. And this is his routine. And you wait for Nabal in this spot. And it can take care, be taken care of. And uh, we can just go our merry way. But that's not what Abigail does. She knows God is God. 
And she's going to continue to trust her heavenly father. And she keeps David from making a, a very disastrous decision. And Abigail then goes back home. She knows what she's going home to. Let's read. Um, verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal. And behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him. And he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. Here Abigail goes home. She's done the right thing. She's, she has saved her husband's neck. And she goes home to a drunken party. And she can't say a thing. She knows she's not going to be heard. And she probably goes to her room and cries herself to sleep. But the next morning, in the morning, when the wine had got out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Abigail got up next morning and she told her husband all that was going to transpire that she prevented. When Nabal heard that story, Nabal may have had a stroke, he may have had a heart attack, but his heart turned to stone. And 10 days later, Nabal died. The truth shall set you free. Abigail trusted God and God took care of Nabal. But the story doesn't end there. Verse 39. And David heard that Nabal was dead. And he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned evil on Nabal's, his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey and her five young women attended her and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. God took a mismatched marriage, a miserable marriage, one whom the wife was wise and, and beautiful and had a heart for God. She was married to a husband with a terrible reputation whose 
character was nothing but foolishness. God took Nabal's life. David heard this and asked for Abigail's hand in marriage. Now, I wish that this story had nothing but happy endings. But we know about David's life, don't we? And about his family. We talked about 2 Samuel uh, and David's relationship with his son Absalom and, and how dysfunctional that was. And, and, um, and Abigail didn't go into a healthy, beautiful relationship between one man and one woman. It was kind of messy. There were some highs. She became the queen of Israel, but there were some lows as well as you you read about David's life. And it isn't a story that you can put a tidy bow on. And there's, there's a lot of Answers that don't go over too well. But you know what? That's the same way it is with our life. You can't put a tidy bow on our story or your story either. But the one thing that you can hold on to is God is God. And he can be trusted no matter the circumstances. Abigail was a wise and beautiful woman that God used mightily in David's life. And there's no telling how David's life would have turned out had he not been confronted by this humble, godly woman who diffused a very volatile situation. And my friends, God wants to use every one of us in our culture today. How can we humble ourselves? How can we take responsibility for things that others have done wrong? But we take ownership of that, just like Abigail did. She took responsibility for her husband's decisions and she listened and she knew the needs of David. And with all wisdom and humility and grace, she attempted to meet those needs. And David heard her heart. May God use us to diffuse difficult situations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful story of a godly woman who knew you and trusted you. And God, you took care of her. She was willing to spend the rest of her life with a terrible person. She didn't try to manipulate the situation. She trusted you. 
And God, you intervened. God, may you use us to calm others down. Help us to be people who hear. Help us to be people who care. God, we live in a culture today where people see the church is irrelevant. We no longer have a voice. They think the Bible is fantasy. It's it's mythology. And God, we know that the gospel does not change. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Help us to be faithful to that message. Help us to be true to your word. But may it be bathed, may it be marinated in love and compassion and humility. May we take responsibility. May we be willing to say those who are angry at you and your church, I understand. I'm sorry for what I have done to you. And may that message be heard. Thank you, Jesus, for your living word. Help it to be lived out in our lives this week. In Jesus' name.